0: The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Bowl and Branch. Getting a great night's sleep is easier and more affordable than you think. Go to bowlandbranch.com today for $50 off your first set of sheets. Promo code BIGIDEA. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, April 27th. In today's news, a huge breakthrough on the Korean Peninsula. A special master will review the materials seized from the office of the President's lawyer, and the Senate Judiciary Committee advances a bill to protect Bob Mueller. But first, the big idea. Bill Cosby's conviction is a watershed, but it remains difficult to hold bad men accountable. The cold hand of justice finally caught up with Bill Cosby on Thursday. The iconic entertainer was convicted on three counts of sexual assault in Pennsylvania, a decision that punctuates one of the most thundering falls from grace in American cultural history. The courtroom rocked with emotion as the jury foreperson announced the guilty verdict. Two women who have accused Cosby of sexual assault but did not testify at the trial burst out in loud sobs from their seats in one of the back rows of the cramped intention-filled courtroom. Cosby, who was once one of the nation's most admired men, a pioneering African-American actor beloved for his role as Dr. Cliff Huxtable on the 1980s hit The Cosby Show, was recast in a suburban Philadelphia courtroom as a merciless predator and sexual deviant. The conviction comes in a retrial of a 2017 case in which a mistrial was declared after the jury couldn't reach an agreement. The Me Too era has happened between then and now. When Cosby received the message about his fate, a conviction that could send him to prison for as many as 30 years, essentially a life sentence for a man who's 80, he sat rigidly still. But his composure slipped when the jury filed out. Cosby exploded in anger as the district attorney argued that he has access to a private plane and should have his $1 million bail revoked because he might be a flight risk. The judge declined to revoke Cosby's bail, but ordered him not to leave his nearby estate. There are two other stories in today's newspaper that show the enduring power of the patriarchy and how men take advantage of their positions of authority. First, the FBI says that the White House was actually informed early last year about potential problems concerning the background investigation of former senior aide Rob Porter, but he was allowed to stay on for another 11 months and no one did anything until the press reported that two of his ex-wives have accused him of assault. According to the FBI account, White House counsel Don McGahn first received derogatory information about Porter in March of 2017. The White House has given several shifting timelines for how it handled the allegations and who knew what when. Porter has denied wrongdoing, and McGahn says he never heard anything from the FBI. Second, NBC News is facing a wave of internal and outside skepticism that it can reform a workplace in which powerful men such as Matt Lauer were known to pursue sexual relationships with more junior women. In interviews with The Washington Post's Sarah Ellison, 35 current and former NBC staffers said that while some of these relationships were consensual, some were not. Twelve women interviewed said they were sexually harassed but did not report it three of the 12 told The Post about sexual advances from Lauer. But Lauer's not the only prominent anchor at NBC who allegedly sought inappropriate relationships with younger women. Linda Vester, a former NBC correspondent, tells The Post that legendary anchor Tom Brokaw made unwanted advances toward her on two occasions in the 1990s, including a forcible attempt to kiss her. Vester was in her 20s and did not file a complaint. Brokaw denies anything untoward happened with Vester. He says the meetings were brief, cordial, and appropriate, and that he made no romantic overtures. Another woman who spoke on the condition of anonymity also tells the Post that Brokaw acted inappropriately toward her in the 90s when she was a young production assistant and he was the anchor. He says no such incident happened. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one. The leaders of North and South Korea made a bold pledge on Friday to work towards denuclearization of their peninsula, and to formally end the Korean War by the end of this year. The pledge comes after a historic day of talks on the border that has divided the two countries for nearly seven decades. For the first time since the Korean War halted in 1953, a North Korean leader stepped onto South Korean soil. Kim Jong-un's border crossing was broadcast live across the South commuters stopped in train stations to watch. Teachers paused their classes so students could observe the moment. Kim then invited his South Korean counterpart, Moon Jae-in, to cross to the northern side. They stood hand in hand in what is technically North Korea, something that would have been unthinkable just a few months ago. It's not clear what exactly denuclearization means for each side. The pledge was vague. But the fact that the two leaders spent so much time together, they even hugged and came up with a joint statement that includes the word denuclearization is a surprising development after a year of missile launches and bellicose threats that brought the specter of war. The warmth of the meeting and the positive signals set the stage for Kim to meet with President Trump at the end of May or early June. Number two. A federal judge has appointed a special master to review material seized from the office and residences of Trump lawyer Michael Cohen before federal prosecutors can access it. The decision came after Trump made comments Thursday that the lawyer performed little legal work for him, which led prosecutors to challenge Cohen's assertion that much of the material in his office was protected by attorney-client privilege. The judge laid out a schedule of about four weeks for this special master and Cohen's attorneys to review the material— The judge said she doesn't want the review to get bogged down in legal wrangling and that she will intervene if there are delays she sees as unnecessary. The New York Post reports that the materials the FBI sees during the raid include as many as 16 of Cohen's cell phones. 16 phones. Two of those phones were Blackberries, which suggests that Cohen has been holding on to his electronics for many years. Number three. The Senate Judiciary Committee advanced a bill on Thursday that would protect special counsels like Bob Mueller from being fired by President Trump. But there is little hope that the legislation will become law. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is dead set against bringing the bipartisan measure up for a vote on the floor. And House Republicans also show no desire to take it up. Trump would likely veto the bill even if it passed. But supporters of the legislation say the mere consideration of it in the committee will send the message to Trump that firing Mueller or his overseers at the Justice Department would spark a fierce backlash on Capitol Hill. Four Republican senators on the Judiciary Committee voted for the bill. Meanwhile, Trump hinted in a combative Fox News interview that he may get more deeply involved in his management of the Justice Department. He said that DOJ should investigate corruption within its own ranks rather than focusing on the probe into him. Hundreds of alumni of the Justice Department Republicans and Democrats alike are deriding Trump's disdain for the rule of law and his disregard for the traditional independence of the law enforcement function. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, April 27th. By the way, I'll be off next week on vacation. I'm looking forward to it. But my colleagues at The Washington Post will be here every morning with the day's top headlines. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you soon.